Hello, and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Levow, the president of Yankee Institute. And today we're joined by the executive director of the Honest Elections Project, Jason Sneed. And Jason, we're delighted to have you with us, especially because ranked choice voting is a hot topic this year in Connecticut. There are some who would like to introduce this method to our state. And it's something I think we should all be considering very carefully before we do so. You're an expert on ranked choice voting, and it seems like an important thing for us to discuss. Well, I am delighted to be here. And uh, yes, you know, ranked choice voting is the, the new hot thing in the election integrity debate that we have going on nationwide. We're seeing it pop up in more and more jurisdictions. And having spent quite a bit of time studying it, looking at places where it has been used, places where it has been rolled back, I have come to the conclusion that ranked choice is really the wrong choice for election reform. Okay, so let's talk. And for people who may not be as uh, up to date on ranked choice voting as you are, can you explain a little bit about what ranked choice voting is? And it's the kind of thing that really on the face of it can sound very appealing, can't it? So let's talk about how ranked choice voting works and what it you know lets people do. Sure. So ranked choice voting is a, a, a fundamentally different method of electing candidates. So we all know the way that elections typically work. You've got multiple people running in a particular race. You go read about them, study them, pick your candidate. And then when it comes time to vote, you check the box for one and move on to the next race. What ranked choice voting does is take that entire process and convert it into one in which you can vote technically for multiple people in a race, you just rank them in order of your personal preference. And the number of votes that you get in each race can be dependent upon state law. But let's uh, use one of the more popular methods, which is called final five voting. So in that uh, kind of a contest, you would have five people running, and then you would be re responsible essentially for ranking all of them, one through five, or however many of those five that you wanted to. What happens then is once everyone completes their ballots, all the ballots are collected, you proceed through a series of rounds of tabulation. The reason you do this is because one of the signature promises that ranked choice voting makes is that it will deliver candidates who win majority support in their community. Majoritarian rule is one of its hallmarks. And it does that by first looking at how many people voted for particular candidates in the first place slot. If no one gets over 50% of the first place vote, then you proceed through processes of elimination. You identify the candidate who received the fewest first place votes, eliminate them from the process, and then anyone who voted for them has their vote reassigned to their next place pick. And that continues until you get someone who has over 50% of the remaining vote. And I use that word very specifically, remaining, because one of the things, and we can talk more about this, one of the things that you run into is this phenomenon called ballot exhaustion, where someone may only vote for one or two, and if their candidates are eliminated, then their votes are eliminated as well. And that's actually mathematically necessary so that ranked choice voting can say or pretend to say that it's delivering majoritarian candidates. So that's how that process works. And we're seeing it, as I said, deployed in more uh, more states or put on the ballot in more states and in more jurisdictions at the local level all across the country. 
Well, and and so here's the thing that's really uh, interesting about ranked choice voting is it really kind of depends on people hanging in there until the very end, correct? Because um, because you know some people are laboring under the delusion that what it does is it lets you put one, two, three, four, five on your ballot and be done. But instead, what it does is it really forces you to come back again and again and again for successive elections. Um, and so you can end up with very anachronistic outcomes, as we saw recently in Alaska, correct? I mean, let's talk a little bit about what happened in the Alaska race, because in a state which is what I thought was interesting. I mean, you can end up uh, in a state where, for example, it's majority Democrat, but you end up with a Republican winner. Or you can end up in a state that, like Alaska, is majority Republican, but with a Democratic elected official. And I think that's so interesting how you can end up with these weird situations. It doesn't really seem like it effectuated the will of the voters. Can can you talk to me about that? Well, th that's right. I mean, in, in Alaska, for instance, you know, you saw in the special election for the congressional seat, which was the first time that they had actually used ranked choice voting in Alaska, you saw 60% of people vote for uh, the two Republican candidates. And then what ultimately ended up happening was that a Democrat won because they eliminated the, uh, the, the, the third place performing candidate, uh, reassigned his votes, and uh, the Democrat ended up winning. Now, interestingly, what happened in that also was this problem of ballot uh, exhaustion reared its ugly head, both in the special election and then in the general election, too, where about a fifth of people who voted for Nick Baggage didn't vote for anybody else. So their ballots were eliminated altogether in the in the special election um actually mary paltola the democrat who who won uh only won a plurality uh if you actually add those votes back into the final totals um, so break only... that down for us so mary tortola was the democrat nick right. baggage that's was right. a republican and sarah palin was a republican correct that's right. That's right. And so in the first round of voting, uh, you saw that about 60% of people listed either Begich or Palin as their first place pick, and uh, only about 40% voted for Peltola. Uh, then, as we said, you go through this process of elimination because no one got over over 50% of the vote. So Begich was the, uh, was the third place candidate, was eliminated. The people who voted for him had their votes redistributed according to who they voted for in the second place slot. So Palin picked up a lot. Peltola picked up enough to get over the threshold to, to win. But there is kind of a forgotten subset of baggage voters who had their ballots eliminated at that point because they didn't vote for anybody else. They only voted for one person in that race, and it happened to be Nick Baggage. So when he was gone, their votes were gone. And they're not just eliminated. There's a, a, a mathematical equation, right, for how you calculate the percentages the candidates win. There's the numerator, the people who vote for them, and the denominator is the total number of people who vote in an election. Well, with ranked choice voting, when you have an exhausted ballot, you are eliminated from the numerator and the denominator. So it's as though you didn't vote. And what happens is if you add those 11,000 baggage voters back into the uh, to the total number of people who voted, uh, it turns out that Mary Paltola only won about 48 percent of the, the vote in the special election, not a majority, even though all the headlines said she won a majority. It's only because they eliminated those votes. But in general, you know, to get back to 
the original point that, that you were making, it is very much the case that with ranked choice voting, you can get these unusual outcomes where what you think, if you're trying to glean the voters intent based on who they voted for in first place is not ultimately reflected at the end of the, the process. And that's actually not a bug. That's a feature. If you talk to ranked choice voting um, advocates, you will say you need to take into account people's second place picks and third place picks, and those should be factored in so that you get someone who at least theoretically reflects the the broader view of of the electorate i don't buy it but that's the that's the logic that they use so the idea is that every they think you're ending up with what a consensus candidate that's exactly what they say. That's that's exactly what they say. Uh, ranked choice voting is supposedly going to be more democratic. It's supposedly going to be more representative of the of the community and lead to, uh, as they as they term it, more moderate candidates who are going to be more reflective of folks in the middle rather than, uh, again, as they term it, the extremes of the political system. And some of the biggest people pushing this, and this is a multi-million dollar national effort that we're seeing to push ranked choice voting all over the place have been very open about that. They actually talk about they want to make it harder for conservatives to get elected. That's why they want to blow up the party primary system as well. Um, they want to make sure that you get people in the middle. And then, you know, left unsaid is the fact that they would, of course, be able to then hopefully influence those folks through lobbying and others. But nevertheless, the reality is they're trying to upend the entire election system and uh, and and very deliberately box out certain voices from the political process that they deem Un, un, undesirable. Yeah. So what do you say when people say, oh, well, what we're going to get is consensus candidates? Um, you know, what, what, what do you, what is the response to that, Jason? Well, I think that the response is that ranked choice voting is not really delivering a consensus candidate. It's just injecting bad data into our election system. So let's say hypothetically that you've got, you know, five people running in a race and it takes three rounds of elimination before you get down to the head to head match and you get someone who has over 50% of the vote. That means that you're counting people's third and fourth place picks. Now, I don't know. Only the voter knows at what point their rank order system switches from support to indifference to opposition, right? So if I'm voting for someone in fourth place or fifth place, is that a vote for someone or is that a vote against someone? I can't say. The The people pushing rank choice voting can't say, but the system treats every single one of those as a vote for that candidate. And that's a problem because, you know, if you're trying to actually capture the essence of the community, what their views are, capture the consensus of the of the general public, you know, I, I don't know how you can actually glean that from the data that you're getting out of a ranked choice election if you're going that far down the ballot. And that happens, especially in local races where you've often got nine or 10 or more people running and you've got to rank those folks. A lot of times people's fourth and fifth place votes are getting counted. And, you know, I'm just not sure that's actually a vote for someone. A lot sure. of times and, people And go, as you pointed out, if people don't vote that far down, their votes are just eliminated altogether. Well, that's right. And so to avoid that problem, someone may feel compelled to vote all five slots. But again, that just raises the issue. Are they voting for that person or are they ranking them because they don't want their ballot to get thrown out? And then their vote winds up counting for someone that they actually oppose. That's a real problem that ranked choice voting uh, proponents really don't have an answer for. It seems to me that you are opening the door to a lot of potential mischief here. Um, because if you want to play with 
the the ultimate outcome uh, as you know people with the funds to launch this kind of nationwide initiative obviously could do uh, if they do have this kind of funding all you do is essentially stuff the ballot with for example i don't know eight candidates you like and you can pretty much assure your outcome can't you Oh, there are plenty of ways to game a ranked choice system. And and yes, I mean, if you want to, um, if you want to appear to be more moderate, for instance, then I think it would be pretty easy for uh, political parties or for some of these outside groups to recruit candidates that are more extreme so that you appear more moderate by, uh, by, by comparison. And we see these sorts of games already being played in politics today. So one of the nasty little things that often happens is that uh, uh, political parties like the Democratic Party, for instance, will sue to keep the Green Party off the ballot so that they don't take votes away from them, that sort of thing. Or they will try to recruit uh, spoiler candidates to, mm-hmm. to run to, uh, to take votes away. And how many headlines have been written just in the last six or seven months about the repeated attempts by the Democratic Party to meddle in Republican primaries. Now we're just going to be taking that practice, morphing it a little yeah. bit and applying it in the ranked choice context, which creates even new opportunities to uh, to to kind of you know game the system in these in these ways. It's it's really interesting when we talk to folks, and we've done focus groups on this, and we've done polling on this, but when you talk to folks in the focus group um, uh, context, they almost immediately zero in on the different ways that that politicians can game this system to their advantage. Another one, incidentally, is that this actually makes it easier for incumbents to win, because especially if you're trying to rank so many candidates, the average voter doesn't necessarily know anything more than, you know, two or three of them. And that's going to give an immediate preference to the candidates that can buy the most time on television and radio, the most ad time, and the people who are already in office who have that name recognition. So there's that kind of thing going into this as well. Again, you know, some of the the people who are pushing ranked choice voting say this is supposed to be more small d democratic and resist these things, but it actually winds up doing the opposite. It is really interesting that this is one of the ways that people are just trying to change the system rather than convince their fellow Americans. Are there any other issues arising uh, in ranked choice voting that people need to be aware of? Well, one of the things that folks should understand is that the people who are putting the most money into this process are all politically on the left. And they're doing a lot of work to try to dress up ranked choice voting as a bipartisan issue. And we deal with this all the time. You'll you'll find uh, candidates uh, who lose elections get recruited to be spokespersons for RCV. You'll find uh, lobbyists and consultants get, you know, essentially paid to to uh, to push it. There is this concerted attempt to really mislead people about who is actually behind this effort, and I find that to be incredibly disingenuous and really counter to the supposed spirit of the people uh, who are pushing ranked choice voting, who want a more transparent democracy, or at least that's what they say. So when you actually pull back the uh, the, the veil and look at who is funding this, you know it's the George Soroses of the world, it's the Arabella Advisors of the world, it's the Tides Foundations of the world, and some of them are remarkably candid about what the purpose of this is, which is to box out people who are principled in politics, right? They want people who are in the middle, not the people on the conservative end of the spectrum. And they might be willing to lose the firebrands on the left. I think the calculus there is that if you get a lot of people in the middle who 
are interested in using government to accomplish something, then all of these other outside groups, the multimillionaires, the billionaires, the special interests will be able to surround them. And their calculus is, rightly or wrongly, that things will kind of bend to the left unless you have people in government who are deliberately there to do things like, for instance, stand up for constitutional first principles and limited government. I think that's the long-term play here. But we continue to deal with this um, you know, kind of appearance or veneer of bipartisanship, which I think is, as I said, incredibly misleading. Yeah, the name for it always uh, escapes me, but it is that age-old principle that anything, uh, any sort of uh, institution that is not explicitly conservative becomes liberal over time. That's a hundred percent right, and, uh, and and ranked choice voting is set up really to be the antithesis of that principle, um, and it is it is it is really fundamentally about changing the election system because some people don't like the results of our current election system, and this plays into some of the other political debates that we're seeing right now as well. I mean, there is an unfortunate trend on the left to enfranchise non-citizen voting at the local level. So Washington D.C. actually just oh, passed Connecticut's a bill all over that. that. Yeah, that's another bill. That's, yeah, uh, it's up in the uh, Connecticut legislature, along with felons and things like that. Right. And lowering the voting age to 16 is also one of these things. I mean, these very uh, unusual kind of fringe ideas are becoming increasingly mainstream. And now they've gone to ranked choice voting, which is you know just fundamentally changing the election system itself at like the DNA level. Um, all of it is, of course, designed to, uh, to to change the process so that you can hopefully change the results. And I don't think that's what election reform should be doing. Well, it's interesting because, you know, elections at their core are actually about choices. Um, they're not supposed to be about blurring everything and ending up, um, it seems to me, with someone who is neither able to articulate, you know, the clear principles that that and the distinctions. Um, and, and this does seem that you end up with this sort of blurred mess um, and no clear cut principles and no clear-cut differences between candidates and such a large spectrum of candidates that it really would allow more of the sort of mealy-mouthed unpredictability that's exactly what drives people's faith in politicians into the basement. Um, Because, you know, it would seem that the smart play would actually be for everyone to tell voters as little as possible and hope to be everybody's second or third choice. I mean, that's the kind of incentive that this sort of system would seem to reward. Um, Because, you know, taking a principled stand would mean that you run the risk of alienating a defined segment of people and getting knocked out quickly. That's a hundred percent right. That's that's absolutely the case. And and again, you know, the folks pushing uh, RCV are very open about that. They want people to uh, to to try to campaign so that you will win second and third place votes. And and that's kind of one of the bizarre things. I mean, ranked choice voting is essentially saying, America, you should be able to settle for second best. When what most people want is a politician that is is principled, that is saying things they like, that they're fired up about, and that energizes them. And ranked choice voting is essentially saying, well, silver or bronze should be fine. And you get these kind of milk toast, vanilla candidates that exactly right, you're you're exactly right, are afraid to say things that might offend people um, because they want their second and third place vote. So it does deny voters those clear choices and a clear understanding of what the voters are, or excuse me, what the candidates are actually campaigning for.
and and so um and so it it seems to me that you know you're not necessarily going to get people without principles you're just going to get people that are um duplicitous and very smart about finding ways around actually telling people what it is they do believe or you're going to get people who are very uh who who actually really don't have um principles and then what that means is that we will have a government that is run essentially by special interests i i think that's exactly right and uh, again you know to to a point that we were discussing earlier a lot of the folks that are funding this effort across the, the country ballot measures uh lobbying organizations that are stood up to focus almost exclusively on ranked choice voting are some of those deep-pocketed special interests that obviously have a vested interest in the outcome of elections and in government policies. And they're pushing this. And one of the, the interesting things is that when you talk to people that believe in ranked choice voting, one of the, the, the many things they say ranked choice voting will do is make campaigns more civil to the point that we were just discussing. You know, if you as a candidate need to win second and third place votes to win a ranked choice election, you're going to be nicer to people. Well, you know, I don't think that it uh, is an, an extreme thing to say at all that a politician is going to figure out a way to win an election. That's what they're there for. And one of the things we may not like it, um, but it's a truth in politics is that attack ads work, negative campaign ads work. And so what ends up happening in these races is that the candidates themselves might want to appear to be nice, but they're going to need someone else to do the dirty work for them because they ultimately want to win. And who is going to be doing that? It's going to be the groups that have the money to finance the, the attack ads. It's going to be the PACs. It's going to be the groups making the independent expenditures. And so many of them are backed by the people who are backing ranked choice voting. So they're essentially trying to recreate an election system that will weaken political parties and increase their own influence all under the guise of promoting a more democratic system. I think it is incredibly misleading. Well, and and here's the thing. Um, it's perfectly possible to point out contrasts and to actually be incredibly effective and incredibly cutting, actually, without being uncivil. Um, you know, I remember, I mean, again, we are in a time where we cannot constantly hearken back to the example of Ronald Reagan. It is a new era where we need new leadership. However, uh, in a lot of ways, he was a model. And I remember, um, you know, for example, one of his famous phrases, a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. And I mean, again, I don't, while President Carter is, of course, in hospice, um, one does not wish to, you know, but he said in recovery is, you know, when President Carter loses his. And, you know, Again, that was good humored. It was a light touch, but it was incredibly effective. And there are plenty of ways with the right candidate that you can point out strong contrasts. You can be perfectly civil and still get your point across. And so we do not need to dilute our principles in order to be effective campaigners, uh, whatever side one happens to be on. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, and I do think that if someone is interested in getting majoritarian government, there is a way to do that. And it's to do a, a standard runoff. Now, I think the plurality elections are perfectly satisfactory. And I think that they are perfectly democratic. But 
the 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 reality is that with a traditional runoff system you are giving voters a clear choice and you know for a fact that if someone shows up at that runoff and votes for someone that they are voting for someone you're not converting elections into a black box which is what ranked choice voting if effectively is and you are not asking people to essentially interpolate um uh is a third place vote a fourth place vote a fifth place vote for someone or against someone is that actually a meaningful vote that's informed and based on research or is that just because they recognize the name or because they guessed or whatever it might be so there are certainly ways to do that but at bottom i agree with you 100% there are are ways to to be effective at campaigning to give voters that choice and you don't have to go down the road of ranked choice voting to get there. Um, so, um, you know, I thank you for your time, Jason. And I do think it's important if uh, if we're going to be led effectively, it needs to be uh, by mandate. Our leaders need mandates. Our leaders don't need some sort of slushy, non-formed, sort of half-baked nothing. And uh, And I think that's unfortunately, what ranked choice voting yields. Um, but of course, we let our listeners decide for themselves. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to share your views with us. Well, it was great to be here. And uh, anytime that you want to talk about ranked choice voting or any other election integrity uh, issue, I hope you'll keep us in mind. Thank you, Jason. And where can our uh, listeners find out more about you? Where may they reach you? So we've got a great website, honestelections.org. And we are also very active on uh, on Twitter and Facebook at Honest Elections is our handle on both of those platforms. And we're constantly sharing updates, uh, news items from across the country and the latest that HEP is doing to, uh, to fight to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Thanks so much, Jason Snead, Executive Director of the Honest Elections Project. Thanks for joining us. And to all our listeners, this is Carol Platt-Lebow. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.